time travelers! Welcome to a retro episode as we tackle Rain Man. That's right, dear listener. We are being very good drivers as we drive slowly on a very non-highway road on our way toward a scintillating discussion of the Oscar winner of 1989. Ooh, the highway of time. Oh, time sure is a highway. Toot toot. Toot everybody i am john i am as always veronica yes i change but she stays the same <laughs> um, the more you change the more i stay the same isn't that like from uh days and confused yeah that's my- <laughs> <laughs> um i keep getting older but veronica never ages oh uh, that's my curse all right all right all right we are doing <laughs> rain man we are doing 1988's rain man oh my goodness wait did we did we ruin the point of the show? I thought we should have been doing uh, a movie from that was number one 30 years ago, not 31 years ago. Well, so it seems like Rain Man was quite the hit mm-hmm. when it first opened. And it was the number one movie from weeks one through four uh, in the box office in January. It then was not number one for a while until week 13, which is where we are, where it all of a sudden bounced back. Yeah, it, it, uh, that wasn't even like a re-release. I imagine it had to, so it had just won Best Picture at the Oscars. Yeah, I would imagine that would be, it was riding high oh, on yeah. that supply. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I I can't imagine that happen, happening nowadays. Like, even if there was a beloved, because it also wasn't released limited. People had a chance to see it. Right. So, you know, but obviously. But there were last distractions there were no video games. Well, I guess true, there were. True, true, true. There were only three channels. Yeah, everyone was like, "Put the put the NES down. <laughs> um, that's the pinnacle of video game systems. Let's go see Tom Cruise and uh, Dustin Hoffman be mismatched brothers traveling across America, learning and loving." Along the way. Veronica, had you ever seen uh, Rain Man before? I have. I saw it, I believe, in high school, and I retained very little from it. <laughs> so, other than thing, like scenes that are in, I guess, sort of the popular vernacular, uh-huh. I did not retain much. I was surprised by how many... Um, offensive imitations of Dustin Hoffman's character I, like were in the pop culture that I didn't realize are from this movie like uh, Hot Water Burn Baby. I didn't realize that was from this movie. Oh wow. Re- where was that present? That's what well we'll get to we'll get no, to it. No, we'll get to it in the movie. Where is it uh imitated? I don't I'm tr- I was trying to remember. I'd certainly heard it before. Mm. I like I don't know if it was like an was, Adam Sandler album uh, or something. Like it, it's something. 
Is it might... a, an improv team? <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> um, but I know I'd heard that before, and when it came up in the movie, I was surprised. So I I had never seen this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I watched half last night. Um, the other, a quarter this morning, realized I had to go to work, and then watched the final 30 minutes on the subway. Oh, wow. Um, and then my headphones died. Fortunately, the subway was a little empty, so I just watched it with the sound on. But then you eventually, you were the annoying man who was seeing a thirty-year-old movie <laughs> on the subway. No one, no one was in the car. And then, right as the movie was ending, like the last scene, we got to West Fourth, and a bunch of people came on, and I was just a lunatic sitting by myself. <laughs> watching Rain Man on my phone. <laughs> You're someone's New York City story. Oh, and that's all that matters. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, so uh, we both watch this movie. Um, why don't we jump into a little a little synopsis? Synopsisize us, John. I would love to. All right. The movie opens. Charlie Babbitt is a hot young yuppie douchebag uh, with capital, capital D on the douche. This is a movie that really wants you to know its main character is a piece of shit. Well, it's also like he kind of plays sort of like the epitome of an the 80s. Yeah. Like Tom Cruise plays the 80s in he's, this movie. He's a real yuppie asshole. He is working in a air... Like, uh, uh, what, what would you call that? Yeah, he probably works at the air hangar that Scientology an... built for him <laughs> yes. in real life. <laughs> One day, the real Tom Cruise would own that and fill it with jets. But in this movie, the character of Charlie Babbitt yeah. is working in a uh, uh, in an air hangar. He, d- he imports Lamborghinis from Europe mm-hmm. for rich people. Um, but when the movie starts, he has a bit of a bit of a money problem because the EPA is holding the cars. Damn the EPA! Those sons of bitches! I gotta say, uh, the first shot of this movie is one of these cars being loaded. It is one of the ugliest cars I've ever seen. Yeah, like all the cars were very. I guess that's another '80s thing. I remember looking at his car when he kind of like like speeds away from the hangar, <laughs> like in the next scene, and I was like, oh. I guess it was considered nice back then because I was like, this is a nothing car. Yeah, I, I was trying to figure, I don't know anything about cars, so I was trying to figure out the yeah. point of that shot where we see these presumably beautiful Lamborghinis. They look like Hot Wheels that a rich person jizzed on and they came to life. <laughs> like, they are the stupidest looking fucking cars. You gotta cars. have the jizz of, <laughs> uh, what's his face? Lloyd Blankfine from Goldman Sachs <laughs> to turn your Camry into a Lamborghini. Gotta see that movie. That's a good movie. All right. Um, no one steal it. I'm sending it to myself right now. Um... But and then we see him in a nice car, but I guess not technically as nice. He tells his coworker to lie to the rich investors who already paid for their cars that are now being held up. Tell them that they're coming, and he gets in a car with his girlfriend, who's his other coworker, and they proceed to have what I felt was a very realistic fight between. Um, uh, a real asshole and his girlfriend. Yeah. Why does she stay with him? That was like a question that I had for a lot of I have movies. a lot of questions about her character. Right. Because this really feels like a movie that's like, she only serves a lot of plot purposes, mm-hmm. especially uh, getting exposition dumps at the beginning. And then I think she's also supposed to be one of the ways we see that uh, Tom Cruise has changed by the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. 
they keep for the first 20 minutes having him be like, wait in the car or yeah. wait over there. And at one point she even says like, you just want me to wait in the background. <laughs> and I was like, okay, okay. So by the end of the movie, this won't happen. But one of the last scenes is him saying, all right, I'm going to go to that important meeting. You wait here. <laughs> and so I really like, like, while this was a very like, Clearly well-constructed script. That was one weird payoff that I expected to see and did not. Well, maybe her personal growth was learning to be okay with waiting in the car. Yes, yes. When you're a boy, when your boyfriend is a, she really she gets over his kidnapping pretty early. His, him being a kidnapper. Anyway, so yeah. so oh, can we like talk about the music real quick? Oh, we, yep. every time there's uh, a driving scene. There's this music that I don't know f- who composed this, but I assume it's someone from the band Toto. Uh, <laughs> and it's like just very like, you know, a lot of like windpipes and like do 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 Yeah, it's, it's a Hans Zimmer score. Oh, that's right. It is yeah. Hans Zimmer. I was like, oh. That seems like it's trying to have some kind of like African, Latin America. It starts with the the a, a very 80s cover of the song Ico Ico. Um, it felt, it felt very much to me like a movie that saw a, uh, like, uh, uh, like Tony Scott movie. Right. And then did a, a, got a shittier version of that soundtrack. But see, it also feels not entirely apt for the kind of movie this is. Mm -hmm. Because Tony Scott made action movies. Yeah. And I could totally see that kind of stuff working there. Or at least in the quiet. Well, I'm thinking, wait. Uh, I, am I getting my 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 by direct late directors wrong? I was the uh, the guy who directed Wild Things. Uh, Wild Things. Uh, oh, who directed Wild Things? Isn't it Jonathan Demme? Fuck, you're 100 percent right. I was thinking of Jonathan Demme. Oh. Tony Scott, Jonathan Demme, both recently deceased. I got them confused. I apologize. Self-flagellation. I think I'm an you idiot. mean something wild. Though. Something wild. Because uh, Wild Things was that the Nev Campbell, like Kevin Bacon, Denise Richards movie where we see his peen. It's now the time to point out that I'm a little sick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, um, but I think like actually like the Tony Scott thing was kind of apt because I think like another Tom Cruise movie, uh, the racing one that is called, I will remember in a second. Something Fury or... Uh, fuck, that's what was one, it called? Uh, the, the, a big one of him, a big uh, part in the uh, Tom Cruise filmography that I have not seen. I have not seen his like 80s beginning, beginning action movies. I've also never seen Top Gun. Oh, well, I mean, I, I mean, guess I don't like, feel that bad about it. I, I also didn't feel that bad about not having seen this one until today. Days of Thunder. Days of Thunder. So, um... Yeah, it's just like I mean, Top Gun is fine. Like you're, I don't know how much you're gonna enjoy it seeing it now. I guess is my point. <laughs> well, but to get back to another yes. Tom Cruise movie, yeah, it just felt like the score. It made me laugh every time there was a score. It's in a movie that you know I was expecting the depiction of autism to be the most dated element. The most dated elements to me were the score and Tom Cruise's pants. Oh, yeah. So he also wears super long underwear in one scene. And I was like, wow. The crazy (laughs) thing is his shirts and sports coats, you could wear them in Manhattan today. And people would be like, that guy looks pretty good. But he wears these like billowing pleated uh, khakis below. So that part would not hold up as much. Oh, man. Somewhere a costume designer for Rain Man is crying. Well, you know, 50-50 for 30 years later, the fashion's returning. That's true. Um, uh, but anyway, this movie's actually directed by uh, Brad Levinson. Or Barry Levinson. God, I'm so sick. 
Barry <laughs> Levinson, director of, of uh, Wag, Diner. Wag the Dog. Wag the Dog. Uh, I think he was also... Did he work initially with uh, David Simon on Homicide? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but yeah, he's done some very... Like, mm-hmm. I feel like his movies are usually pretty solid. He's one of those directors that I... I can't point to one thing that I was like, oh, I was awed by this. Mm-hmm. But it was... It's always like a good version of the movie he's making. Yeah, I like, love yeah. I love Diner and uh, I like I White the Dog. Seen... It's great. Is Paul Reiser in Diner? Yes, he is. Oh, I love Paul. Um, anyway, uh, back to the movie. We're thirty seconds in. <laughs> We're like five minutes in. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Um, well, uh, this is gonna be another analyze this situation. Charlie Babbitt and his uh, girlfriend slash coworker. What's her name? Susanna. Uh, Susanna. 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 Uh, are driving. They're going to go on a cool, fancy trip. And then, lo and behold, Tom Cruise gets a call on his car phone. It's 1988. Yeah. So we have to have an insert shot explaining what a car phone is and how he's talking to someone. <laughs> um, he gets a call. Uh-oh. His dad is dead. Um, and, unfortunately, Tom Cruise, Charlie Babbitt, does not give a shit. Not yeah. a fan of his dad. His reaction is, uh, okay, fine, fine. Hangs up, looks at his girlfriend and says, sorry about the vacation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he like pulls a Yui on the highway. It's I like I like that moment. There, yeah, it was nice. Yeah, so um, he goes, uh, his dad's dead. He reveals that he ran away at age 16. This is another thing to set up how much of kind of a... We get that his dad was kind of an asshole, but we really set up how much of an asshole Tom Cruise is again. Yeah. The reason his relationship with his father is estranged is that when he was 16... He got a report card with almost all A's and therefore thought he deserved to drive a 1949, a car that he's just explained to us is one of the rarest cars in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And his dad wouldn't let him because he's fucking 16. Right. And he stole it, got pulled over, and his dad, oh, his dad uh, uh, reported it stolen, so he got arrested. He was so angry that he fucking... Peaced out, never talked to his dad again. Yeah, I guess, like, yeah, if there was one characteristic of, like, Charlie Babbitt, if I were to pitch this movie, I would say entitled. Yeah. (laughs) Like, it is all... The entire thrust of the movie is, like, his entitlement. Yeah, he is. (laughs) I think, unfortunately, this is is very much... I want to be clear. This is a movie that, um, that... knows that its main character is an asshole and wants you to think that. Unlike, you know, I've seen a lot of movies where uh, uh, the movie doesn't seem to realize how deeply unpleasant its protagonist is. This is not that that case. It's one of my least favorite things in the world. Yeah. Um, It's a bad trip. Anyway, so he goes... And he, uh, his dad, clearly very rich and with money problems, he's pretty... Well, he has $3 million. I don't know how very rich he is. Is that not... I don't know. He's a big, a huge house with a fancy car. and That's true. I mean, yeah, I'm sure he's rich. I was just thinking that, like, in... I feel like in 2019, mm. if someone was like... Yeah, it's like he had three million dollars. <laughs> well, I mean, we like listen. If I had three million dollars, I would be very happy, and I would probably stop working where I work. <laughs> but like, it's also like I feel like the sums have gone up instead yeah. of you know there was, was there's been an inflation in movie. Was it make clear? Was too. this the entire? This wasn't the entirety of his father's estate. It was just no. That was the estate. Oh, it was including yeah. the house. That's what it said. So, like, the entire estate, it was kind of worth $3 million, oh. and it was going to go to a conservancy. 
Yes. Anyway, yeah. uh, Tom Cruise has left a very passive-aggressive letter from the dead <laughs> father, as well as the car that split them up, and some rose bushes. Uh, yeah, that was confusing. I was like, he like hedges. His is dad just what? seems like his, da- his dad seems like he's going for a real like fuck you to his Man, uh, strange he's son. He's like pulling a John McCain. Yeah. <laughs> um, and instead, all the estate is given to a mysterious trustee who Tom Cruise doesn't know. Now, Tom Cruise is on a mission. He needs his money. He and his girlfriend track down, find out where the money's going. Turns out oh, it can is I, going. Oh, please. Can I insert one little thing? In that scene, he like in before he goes to the where he's about to go that I'm not gonna spoil, he mentions to her that he had a an imaginary friend. Oh, this named, is important, sorry. Named Rain Man, which is hey, it's the name of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. So that really sticks in your mind. He had an imaginary. It's, it's, you know, the payoff is good. The payoff's fine. Yeah, it's good. If you can't figure out where it's going before the payoff happens, um, watch more movies. It's an Oscar winning <laughs> movie. This is a well done uh, movie. <laughs> but yeah, he uh, had an imaginary friend named Rain Man, but then he grew up and realized he wasn't real. But this was a soothing figure in his life when he was very young. Mm hmm. Anyway, he goes to a, uh, a mental uh, a mental institute uh, where he finds out all the money has been given to a doctor to care for someone uh, who the doctor will not say. He then walks back out to the car and finds out while uh, Suzanne has been waiting, which is yeah, what she course. does for the first act. <laughs> she's waiting in the car. Dustin Hoffman, a, a man clearly with uh, um, fair, a fairly severe uh, autism. Um, is has gotten in the car and claimed this is a car he used to drive. Only on Sundays, never oh, on Mondays. Yes, and he's very good driving slowly, not on the highway. Uh, so, yes, I, I guess my question to you in the way that we're going to break this, when do you want to talk about Dustin Hoffman's portrayal? Of- let's... Let's let's uh, get to that later. Okay, fair enough. Um, but, yeah, I mean, one of the major things when you watch this movie... Uh, at this point, this is the thing that would make this movie probably not made today would be the fact that, uh, and it's you know, it's about a, a buddy road trip movie with a uh, one character has severe mental problems portrayed by an actor who, um, I mean, I, I haven't seen that doesn't have been psych report, but do, at least doesn't have those mental problems. Yeah, he, I mean, he is on a spectrum, but he's not that far, <laughs> I guess. Uh, I don't consider method acting to be a, a mental issue per right. se, but I mean, aren't we all on a spectrum? <laughs> you know, like I guess uh, in a you know Kinsey way. I guess if you apply yes, that yes. to we like all the have autism, autism and we're all gay. Uh, no, but I feel like I'm. I'm sure. I mean, even people who are not you know diagnosed with Mm. that are still like somewhere on there just like probably we should point out at this point that we are neither of us are experts uh, no yes we uh, we are gonna we're gonna do like a very good like faith a like, good faith. Yeah, I was good we're going to do a really good podcast. No, no, we're going to have like we none of the stuff that we say I would venture I guess would be malicious intentionally or even unintentionally about the the disease, I mean not the disease, the condition. So like I think that we should get this out if there. If we we're use not any gonna, yeah. incorrect terminology at any point either because we just don't know it or because we're repeating something from a movie that is 31 years old. Right. Uh, we apologize. Yeah, we yeah we mean no harm. 
Anyway, um, let me uh, list a bunch of racial slurs for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we didn't say anything about racial slurs, so get ready. Um, anyway. Pop out those headphones and turn on your phone on a crowded subway. <laughs> <laughs> um, there is and actually nothing really about race in, that, uh, in this movie, other than the fact um, that I would uh, wager that most of the people who love this movie are white. <laughs> um, when I, I, I watch this on Amazon Prime and the suggested movies are all very middle of the road baby boomer uh, oh. feel good films like this yeah I can I can see that I feel like yeah I wonder what I would it would be kind of interesting this is unrelated in any way but just like to see the demographics of like the successful movies from the 80s mm. whether it was just a thing of just, like, black people were like, well, I guess that's the best we can do, and still went <laughs> yeah. to those movies. Or whether it was, like, movies about white people for white people. Well, like discussing autism, we're clearly the podcast hosts <laughs> to discuss the viewing habits of 1980s people of color. No, I don't want to discuss it. I, I would be curious <laughs> would to be know yes. what those are. Like, because I do, I mean, yeah, you look at the top movies from the 80s at least from like since we started making this podcast and this is like it's very white out there yeah you I, don't, know? I don't think there uh there is with speaking lines maybe one person of color one of the one of the doctors at the asylum is asylum right was it an asylum what uh, we call I, it? I, I mean i think it's a mental institution an institute yeah I, so i'm already fucking up uh, yeah, I don't think it's an asylum. I don't know. I feel like an asylum is a weird thing. I feel like asylum is like you can't leave kind of thing. Yes, he is there voluntarily. That yeah. is important. Uh, yeah, I think one of the aides, like his friend, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Uh, Raymond's friend was African-American. And I think that might be it. I yeah, I can't think of anyone else. Apologies to someone 30, 30 down on the, uh, yeah. on the uh, call sheet who's like, hey, what about me? Mm. Um, but anyway... So, uh, they, ha um, uh, Charlie Babbitt puts two and two together that this man talking about driving in his father's car at the Institute where his father has given $3 million to care for someone is actually the brother he never knew he had, mm -hmm. a man named Raymond Babbitt. Uh, Raymond Babbitt is introduced to us as a man with, um, severe yet high functioning autism, uh, who also is uh, has savant uh, uh, qualities. Yeah, they are not okay with calling him an idiot savant, but they mm -hmm. still call him like. Do they call him like a retarded savant or like some? They call well, him something that was like as offensive in my mind. Well, have we talked about this on the podcast yet? Like um, the shift of the word retard has been so fast, right? And I so I uh, currently teach uh, a comedy writing. And I frequently show um, comedy sketches from the 90s as examples. And a lot of them just casually drop the word uh, retard or retarded, sometimes to refer to people with mental disabilities, not like maliciously as just that, like they are mentally retarded. Right. Um, and I then have to like spend a bunch of time explaining to people under the age of like 23 that, oh, that word up until only like five years ago was not offensive in the way you think I it mean, is now. I mean, yeah. I mean, the movie Tropic Thunder drops it so Oh, yeah. Many Go times. full and retard. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah. That's but a yeah, I think it's one of those. I, I remember when that like started happening. I was like, no, this is dumb. But now it's sort of like I totally get it. 
Well, it, I mean, from what I gather, it's one of those things where they made the shift mostly because the colloquial insult was being used as much, if not more than the medical diagnosis. So like, yeah, in the nineties, um, criticizing something as retarded was just like saying it was stupid. Right. Um, uh, if you were in middle school in the time, uh, in the late 90s, like I was, uh, things were also gay frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it was a different time. Uh, anyone younger than us listening to this, we apologize. We were children. Yeah. I mean, we're not going to throw these words around here no. or anything like that. But yeah, but yeah they... it, it is definitely like, yeah, I think, yeah, I think those shifts like, while like they could like confuse you at first are probably for the best in the long term so i'm totally fine with them and i'm Uh, not gonna be obsessed society moves forward (laughs) um veronica and i are just at the age where we are seeing things we just did for the heck of it are suddenly very offensive right it is it is very interesting get ready for your 30s listeners yeah I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure like the, you know, the language is going to keep evolving. And yeah. I think the key is just like evolve with it and not like be difficult about to it. To all you Gen Z listeners <laughs> out there thinking it'll never happen to me. I'm the most progressive woke person in the world. It will fucking happen. Get ready for it. Yeah. I mean, that's just like how the world works. I think like the key here is like. I mean, if you're going to lose Also, your... you as a generation will be erased because you're a middle generation and not one of the big <laughs> generations. You will probably never have a president. We millennials will stay in the White House forever until we die, and then our children will replace you. Oh, God. Sorry, Gen Z. <laughs> you are the Gen X of the future. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. That was, that was dark. No, I think, yeah. I think sort of... Uh, yeah, as I said, like the key is to sort of like try to go with it and not like try to fight it. Yeah. Like as long as you do that, I think we'll be okay. But also just like, yeah, if you watch a movie from 30 years ago, if you're going to get upset by like every time someone says the wrong word, you're going to have a very unpleasant time watching most movies. (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't know how many 20 year olds are throwing a a, a rain man on. Yeah, no, that's right. I just I think it is kind of hard like, if your only criticism about a movie, this is actually, like, another candidate for this podcast for this week was Some Like It Hot. Mm-hmm. And I watched it for the first time a few weeks ago, a few months ago. And there's, like, some, like, very outdated sexist mm-hmm. thing in that movie. But then, like, I mean, if I were to judge a movie based on, like, the outdated stereotypes it uses, I would not watch any movie past, like, a few years. I'm very curious. So that, something like it hot, a classic drag comedy, um, I obviously our understanding of gender has greatly changed, uh, particularly in the last, like, five to ten years. I'm very curious what the reaction to the new Tootsie Broadway musical will be. Yeah, I don't know because my re- I Tootsie Speaking was another Dustin, movie. Good old Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, look at him. But my reaction to the Tootsie movie, which I've also only recently, I think I started watching it once in high school and never finished, and mm. then I rewatched it probably like last year or the year before. It was, yeah, I was, I didn't really like it, and I don't know whether it was from like a similar perspective of just like 
you know, we've evolved past this as a society and it's no longer a thing. A lot of the lessons he learns feel... <laughs> yeah. But hey, it's, it's got Terry Gar and that's all the matter. Yeah, it felt weird to reward a protagonist who basically learns, like, uh, not to... Be Women a, are people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's just like, okay, I guess, fine. Uh, Bill Murray is in it. Anyway. It. Anyway, we are like 15 minutes into yep. the movie. <laughs> Um, so, uh, Charlie Babbitt realizes this is his brother and that he has the $3 million or will have the $3 million that Charlie desperately needs. So as you do, he kidnaps his brother. Um, it's not like a gun to the back. He basically says, Hey Ray, you want to get in the car? Let's go for a ride. Yeah. He, uh, he asks Susanna to do one of the only active things she does in the Mm -hmm. movie, which is drive the car to the gate. And then he walks Raymond out, and they are off. This is also uh, Susanna's departure for a while, because fairly rationally, she says, hey, I'm not super into the kidnapping your handicapped brother thing. I'm going to peace out. But oh, not before she like has sex with him in the hotel That is room. my least favorite scene that of the was fucking like, movie. I was like, would she, based on everything we've seen, would you be into having sex with this man yeah, right now? There's like, a very... Oh, but to be clear, with Charlie, not Raymond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they... I think it's like it's more set up as a scene of it's like... It's a comedy scene yeah, that like really Raymond, sucks. Interrupts right at the wrong time. He hears groaning and he goes and he sees them have sex, but or I guess but like, we also hears have, them have sex. Their door is wide open. The TV right. is on. He's looking for the TV. It's easily my least favorite scene. In the yeah, movie. it's definitely like a it's scene where it was like funny. I think you were trying to go for comedy and probably just establish how like. Raymond is not really like someone who takes social cues due to his condition. And but it was like done in such a like a hokey, unbelievable way. I also think there's a little bit of a lot of Susanna's use is to be like, um, by the way, this love story between two brothers, they're both mega hetero. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that scene sucks. Anyway, uh, Susanna's like, fuck this. I'm going. She pieces out. Meanwhile, Charlie decides to take Raymond to Los Angeles, where he lives. They are in Illinois? Uh, They start off from Cincinnati. I don't know how far they got. Um, Anyway, uh, he takes Raymond to the airport while also fending more phone calls from his coworkers, saying their business is desperately in need of money, and also calls from the doctor, saying, what the fuck, don't (laughs) kidnap your brother. Yeah, Um, but... I, so putting on our reality hat and taking off our, you know, movie goggles for a second, mm-hmm. would like the police not be involved in this? Well, the thing is, um, and they make it clear, but it also seems to be that Charlie didn't know this. Uh, Raymond is not. Uh, Raymond is in there voluntarily. Mm, right. So there's no real crime committed by uh, Charlie persuading Raymond to just leave with him. Um, but it, 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 that is set up for the audience through a conversation with the doctor. But because it's information they're giving us as the audience, it also seems that Charlie did not know this. But then again, that might be on purpose because the movie really wants you to know Charlie fucking sucks. Yeah, Charlie does suck. So they're attempting to board a plane, mm-hmm. but... But um, Raymond, uh, not a big fan of air travel, begins listing uh, using... Um, 
his savant memorization capabilities, listing the date, exact dates uh, of every plane for every airline that has crashed in a scene that Wikipedia tells me hilariously is edited out of any uh, airplane. Except. Ver- except. Yeah, Qantas, which he cites favorably. <laughs> the only airline Dustin uh, Raymond will get on is Qantas, an Australian airline. <laughs> Because uh, they've never crashed. Uh, but ba- uh, Charlie points out that they would have to fly to Australia <laughs> to get on that plane. Uh, Qantas Airlines, in real life, the only airline that doesn't edit that scene out of the movie uh, for uh, in air travel. Which is pretty funny. I know, Can I mention something real quick about the airport, though? Mm-hmm. Is that like every every seat in that lounge had like a little yes. TV attached to it, which was pretty cool. I've never seen it before. Obviously, I was not really cognizant. I remember seeing that. Those, but like they were turned off. Oh, really? Like, I remember seeing okay. those as like remnants of like an old like airline terminal that needs to be like cleaned. But I feel like we as a society have not sort of mo- moved back to that kind of thing with I know there's like a, an abundance of iPads now uh-huh. but they're mostly in like certain stations mm. but there's no like in like seed well, iPad presumably kind of thing you had to pay to watch it oh you, there was you, I like think you coin put money operated in, or something and then you were able to like it's a TV connected to your chair and each chair is a different one so I assume you had to pay wow. um, I don't know we're just old enough to have words we used in middle school be offensive we're not old enough to know the TV right. chair thing um so, whoo, that was loud. Sorry, yes. Well, we will edit this out. <laughs> no, dude, keep it. It's fucking cool. We're cool dudes. Yeah, we're um, drinking a uh, room temperature PBR. <laughs> anyway, so, uh, so without the ability to fly, they are stuck on a road trip. And then things get even worse. They're on the highway. They drive by a car, a huge car crash. And Raymond also now doesn't want to drive on the highway. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, Charlie is stuck driving down a bunch of secondary roads on like Route 66 to try to get from Cincinnati all the way to uh, all the way to Los Angeles. At one point, they stop in a diner and we meet a very young Bonnie Hunt for about two minutes. Oh, fuck. I didn't know that. Yeah, she was the waitress. Oh, nice. Okay. Good for her. Um, I really like her. And she returns to Route 69 in Radiator Springs. uh, (laughs) Uh, Her greatest film, Cars. Cars. Um, but yeah, no, uh, 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 yeah, so that is an important scene where we again see, uh, Raymond's savant abilities where she drops a bunch of toothpicks and he instantly That able- was her? Yeah. That was Bonnie Hunt? Debbie. Oh, cause he, he also, oh no, no, I'm sorry. She's the one he has somehow magically, oh no, she's both. She's, uh, we see him earlier reading the phone book and in this small oh. town, he has memorized the phone numbers of every person with the last names A through G. So in, in what I thought was a pretty funny bit, yeah. she walks up and he instantly says, oh, Debbie Gibbs and lists her phone number. Yeah. Although she's pretty cool with it fairly quickly. That's a, I mean, if you have your phone number in the phone book, you have to be open to the possibility of someone memorizing your phone from the phone book. I think if you're a waitress <laughs> on this side street diner, you have to be open to the possibility that this dude's going to fucking kill you. That is also true. Uh, yeah, I think I, wow, I didn't recognize her at all. Yeah, you but- yeah, so we learn more about his... Oh, another thing that we learn that whenever he is upset, he recites the who's on first. Yes. Just like any improviser at a bar after a show, he oh, recites God. who's on first. <laughs> oh, my God. I There's so many people I've met in this the UCB improv community who know that 
the routine by heart. It is. So many people in the used to be improv community who can count toothpicks that are dropped to the ground. I mean, I don't know. I never tried I feel tried like we're it. bordering on offensive at this point. Oh, boy. All right. Moving on. Uh, they, yeah, they go to a motel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Raymond has to have his uh, bed right by a window. He's very particular. He has to have a table for his notes and for his uh, pens. He also has to watch certain daytime TV shows at the right time. He has to watch The People's Court at exactly the time it's on. Which is kind of a fun scene. Oh, that's my favorite cut in the movie. (laughs) So uh, at one point, they're in the middle of nowhere. There's no TV anywhere. And uh, uh, Charlie just basically, like, his Hail Mary is, I'm going to knock on this woman's door. He pretends to be from the Nielsen company, (laughs) which, like, this woman recognizes as a thing, which I also found. I think in 88 you would. Yeah, that's what I told myself. I was like, maybe at the time, like, everyone knew about the Nielsen ratings. But she also instantly realizes this is bullshit. Yeah, which is good. And then, like, she was like, uh, so uh, Charlie is like, my my brother has to watch this TV show at a certain time. And she's like, well, we're a cartoon family. Would it be okay with watching a cartoon? And then smash cut to them watching the People's Court. Yeah, forcing all the children <laughs> in her family to watch the People's Court. Which, yeah, that was, that was a it's, nice... It's a funny little yeah. joke. Anyway, to be clear, uh, throughout this, uh, this section of the movie, Charlie is very agitated and angry to have to accommodate all of Raymond's little quirks. However, mm-hmm. we start to get a few moments where Charlie recognizes Raymond's uh, humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget the exact scene, but there's one nice moment where he's been told at the Institute that um, he does who's on, is it, uh, who's, on is it, who's on first whenever he's nervous. And so there's a part where he, I think, has been yelling at Raymond, and Raymond just starts doing that, and Charlie realizes he's made him upset. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, the, the that dated score kicks in from Hans Zimmer, and it's a very sweet little moment. Do, 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 um, do, do. Anyway, like we can fast forward a lot. Uh, uh, they're traveling. Um, Charlie keeps getting calls from his job that keep sounding worse and worse until the company is absolutely dead, mm-hmm. um, and he owes tons of money. Also, he keeps getting closer and closer to Raymond, starts being more accepting of uh, accommodating his little, uh, his various issues. And then when he's at his, at his worst uh, financially, the company is royally fucked. They have just driven by Las Vegas and um, Charlie has stopped. Oh, I should, at what, in small town, he stops by a psychiatrist who gives uh, the audience and Charlie a dummy's version of what savant. Uh, but. It it also was that scene was weird because there's the nurse mm-hmm. did not know what autism was. I honestly think that might be accurate for 1988. Really? This is something like she's a medical professional. I was reading an article by um, the medical uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for uh, uh, the person, journal. No, the person who told like uh, uh, informed the movie, the making of the movie. Uh, their uh, inspiration? No, no, no. Um, this like w- read the script and helped give them. Notes. Oh, advisor, advisor. Like, one okay. of their psychological advisors, who obviously he's uh, you know has a biased opinion, but he was talking about how um, this movie helped. Uh, while the impressions of Dustin Hoffman helped add a lot of misconceptions, the movie also helped bring a lot of awareness of uh, autism as well, specifically uh, savantism. Mm. Is that right? I, don't know. I guess. 
but I, it was just, I was pretty surprised. Maybe it is informed by, you know, my 2019 mind, but it felt like I'm a- just like. I would think that a nurse in a medical field would know what an autism I, is. The, pro- the scene is a comedy scene where right. she's it's like, like uh, what? Where she's, yeah, she's like, what is his, what's wrong with him? And Charlie's basically like, look at him. Raymond, do one of your things. <laughs> and it's like, it's clearly a comedy scene. It's fine for what it is. But yeah, she has to be a real fucking idiot for the joke to work. Right. Anyway, Charlie realizes destitute that they can use the savant uh, abilities to count cards in Las Vegas. They pull a Yui, return, get um, uh, Raymond some fancy new duds, also gets him, uh, uh, they get him, he's been wearing Kmart clothes, Mm -hmm. movie, real anti-Kmart, gets him some uh, fancy clothes. Oh, God, I'm sorry. Have we figured? Has the reveal happened? Has the reveal has happened? I didn't I, want to stop you because you wanted is, to fast forward through a yes. lot of stuff. But shortly after, <laughs> shortly before this, uh, Charlie realizes that um, Raymond is Rain Man, his uh, potentially imaginary friend. That he uh, when Rainman uh, when uh, Raymond was 18, Charlie was two, and called his younger brother Rain Man, or his older brother Rain Man, because he couldn't pronounce Raymond. Mm -hmm. And he loved his older brother, who used to sing to him. However, the event that instigated him being institutionalized, shortly after the mother's death, um, Raymond tried to bathe the baby, hot water burn baby, Mm -hmm. tried to put him in scalding water. Uh, The father freaked out. Not being worried about not being able to raise Raymond without his wife, institutionalized Raymond for the rest of his life. That's so sad. That, that's a very sad. That dad is a dick. Yeah, but I mean, I, like I, I was, I, I, I was talking. Uh, uh, I watched it with Chris, and we were talking about like I'm like, wow, he's a real shithead. But then I was saying like they do make it clear this all happened almost immediately after the wife's death. But it does kind of suck that he left him there for 20 years. And also just not told a son about having a brother. That's also very shitty. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they keep it just vague enough that you can be like, oh, the dad sucks. Oh, well, moving on. Right. I mean, I, I mean, I buy it within the confines of the movie, but it just seems very cruel. And considering that letter that the father left in his will. Yeah. I ha- although we do hear that he tried to contact Charlie throughout his life and Charlie never responded. So he's Maybe just- he was... Wanted to tell him that he had a brother. All yeah, maybe. Anyway, uh, they go to they go to Vegas. Um, uh, Raymond is a great card counter. One of the other things I learned from Wikipedia: card counting is not illegal. Um, this movie yeah. made people think that it's illegal, but they win tons of money, and the security staff has no idea how they're doing it. And from my interpretation, basically bluffed them into leaving. Yeah, it seems like... To use a gambling term. So, from my knowledge of card counting is almost exclusively from the seminal Kevin Spacey movie 21, (laughs) but, uh, it, yeah, it is sort of just, like, frowned upon. You would be blacklisted by the casino, but they have no recourse in terms of getting um, the money back or anything like that. It is not illegal, which is why they, the security, the next day, after a touching scene where um, uh, Charlie teaches Raymond how to dance, and after a weird scene 
where Raymond uh, meets a prostitute. And I re- from the beginning of the movie, I told Kristen, I'm like, there's going to be a fucking awful scene where Raymond has sex for the first time. And they <laughs> didn't do it. But they they seemed like they were going to do it. And they didn't do it. And I was very glad. Yeah, I yeah, that would have been very awkward. I remember that. So the kiss scene between him and Susanna. That does. Susanna returns in Vegas because she's now unemployed because the company has died. Yeah. And I thought, like... I remember it worse than it actually was. Like, uh, I I didn't really. I mean, I, I I wouldn't call this scene problematic. I guess Susanna. I think this Susanna really gets fucking dicked over in the third act. Cause I thought the first act was really setting up, like, a reveal. Then like, oh yeah, she's realized that Charlie fucking sucks. I thought she she returns seemingly. Having forgiven Charlie, I thought she was lying. And in that kiss scene, she was actually going... When she stopped the elevator, she was going to sneak Raymond away from Charlie. Having Ooh. seen that Charlie was using him to make... I. You should use our uh, box office time machine to travel Ooh. back to a year before and well, alter the screenplay. All I knew about the movie was that it was about a rich yuppie who uses his mentally handicapped brother to card count. And I assumed it was good. I actually thought that was going to be most of the movie... And that um, he was going to learn it's not good to uh, take advantage of of your brother. But and I thought this was going to be a scene where that happens. But no, instead, she stops the elevator that she and Raymond Ryan gives him a kiss. It's super weird. Yeah, um, well, it's so Raymond again. Schedules, they're both mega hetero. Yeah, again, he schedules a date with uh, the woman that he doesn't know is a prostitute. Yeah. And then when she surprise does not show up, uh, yeah, he's sad, and because he learned how to dance to impress her, and so she is trying to, I guess, make him feel better. I think yeah, to teach him how to kiss. Part of the idea is that at this point, um, one of the things I think is good about the movie, like Raymond's obviously not cured by the end, but he the small positive steps he shows because of this trip is that he learns to allow a little more physical contact. Mm-hmm. Um, we see that in the dance scene and then in the kiss, which uh, I think from the things we heard at the beginning of the movie, he would never do before. Right. Um, yeah. Ooh, that siren is loud. What? You hear that siren? Oh, yeah. There's a murder happening. <laughs> in this apartment. There's we a should, murder we should, in this apartment. <laughs> we should, we'll deal with that later. We got to finish the episode. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, they get uh, uh, basically kicked out of Vegas, but they have their money. Basically, the card counting thing works out great. They have yeah. enough money to pay off Charlie's debts. It allows the movie to forget about that plot that no one really cared oh, about. Oh, yeah. The, the Lamborghini <laughs> shit that literally opened the movie, it's gone. Yeah. Um, anyway, they return to California. Uh, Susanna's now super cool with everything Charlie does. She's like, Waits. wait in the car? Sure, sir. Tell <laughs> me for how long. No, her arc is that she now waits in her own apartment. That's the big difference. <laughs> Um, but anyway, Charlie goes to a meeting with Barry Levinson, director, cameo- cameoing Ooh. as a um, d- uh, an expert for the custody hearing to see if Charlie can take custody of his brother away from the Institute to presumably get his money. However, right before this happens, Charlie meets with the doctor who says, you know, you wouldn't get the money anyway. The money is coming to me to- and the Institute to care for Raymond. So if you just want... Look, I just want whatever's best for Raymond. Here's $250,000. Just let Raymond come back to the Institute. 
But at this point, Charlie has learned to love his brother and says no. They go to the hearing. Um, the doctor peppers Raymond with questions that make him uncomfortable to see who he wants to live with. Mm -hmm. um, Charlie, realizing the questions make him uncomfortable, decides to sacrifice his uh, his time with Charlie. Tell the doctors that it's okay. He doesn't need the money. He does it. He just wants his brother, whatever's best for his brother. Mm -hmm. We get what I assume was the big weepy scene in the movie theaters where uh, Charlie, uh, uh, and it is very sweet, Charlie gives a whole little speech to Raymond, who seemingly cannot understand what he's saying about how everything he said to the doctor is real. He really did feel a connection and he really wants to be a part of his life. And Raymond communicates in the only way he can by leaning his head forward and pressing his forehead against Charlie's. Mm -hmm. We hold on this. It's a sweet moment. This is where you get weepy in the theaters. And then we get a final scene where Charlie says goodbye to Raymond, um, but promises he'll see him in two weeks. And Raymond, using his spawn abilities, knows exactly how many seconds that will take. End yeah. of movie. Yeah. And it also took place in the nicest looking train station. Of oh, yeah, seen. dude. Apparently. I actually. <laughs> Is that I the Union Station in L.A.? I, yeah, I think it might be. I think I'm. Because on the outside, it's. I think it is because I've a nice been inside yeah. once. It was probably way more active back in the day because when I lived in LA, it was kind of yeah. abandoned. My, a friend of mine lives right by there, and yeah. I was uh, I crashed on her couch recently, and it looked not as nice as that. But I think that's where it was. Right, but yeah, that was the movie. Rain Man. All right, so I saw it for the first time. You uh, had uh, didn't remember it. Uh, so uh, let's let's do let's do some fucking later letter grades. All right, lady. let's later grade this. <laughs> um, uh, right. You want to do three, two, two one, B, B minus. All right. Oh man, one off. Off I'm by the, one. I'm the, I'm the negative one. I'm always one below you. I feel like I was negative on something. I was. Oh, I was negative on like Superman. I think. Yeah, I think I have it's, my negatives. So I it. I thought this was going to be fucking like Driving Miss Daisy. Mm -hmm. I thought I was going to watch this and this was going to be so dated and so just make you like, wow, we treated people different from us as human beings. Give ourselves a pat on the back in the theaters. Mm -hmm. I thought that's what it was going to be. And there are parts that feel that way. But for the most part, it's not that. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of that has to do with how shitty Tom Cruise is. And I think mm. it like it really is his story of like oh I should be a slightly less shitty person. Right. Um, uh, yeah. yeah, I thought I think that all works. I think the fact that yeah there was not a whole lot. It was a very probably realistic dick reaction to all like the the Raymond you know yeah. ticks and stuff. And he does this clapping thing all the time. Yeah. And one time they do a, a close up on his hands whenever he's like he's like Ray let's go. Uh, and one time we get a close up and we're like, yeah, he's a real fucking asshole. Yeah. And I also think that I I think the Dustin Hoffman portrayal is like way more nuanced that I think we in public sort of culture mm. or pop culture remember. And I think it's mostly due to the parodies because yeah. I think like 
it it really feels like a lot of thought went into it and it was not all just like a collection of ticks it was a, like an actual character yeah it's been in the public consciousness turned into just right. saying definitely 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 need this uh right. turned into wearing the Kmart like members only jacket all these things that um that feel way grosser than what I, I think was uh, Dustin Hoffman gunning for an Oscar and trying to be as respectful as humanly possible. I Would this movie get made today? I don't know, because I think... I mean, I think there is definitely a push for, uh, you know, like, people from minority communities playing themselves or, like, yeah. actors. But where, where does that end? Where? But do, that is the yeah. question, because... It's. It seems like this, the autism condition, sometimes does not lend itself. Like I, I, I mean, I, I obviously could be wrong, but mm. it seems like acting is not something that is like, you know, that yeah. they are comfortable with. This was you know? based on, in part, the writer knew two men, and it's based on kind of a combination of them. And one, he had, I think made a documentary about. Um, mm-hmm. I, I might be wrong. He'd made some kind of short film about him or something. But um, but yeah, I don't... It's tough to say. Has it, like... What was the last movie of this? I mean, obviously, like, Geely was basically... This it was yeah. a similar movie a, a while there back. There was The Other Sister right. with... Uh, and, I mean, uh, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, Temple Grandin was probably the yeah. most... But... I think, yeah, I think it is like a. It's a weird thing, and obviously I'm not an actor, uh, but it does seem like one of the things actors do is take on, uh. you know, roles that are not themselves. So I think it is a, uh, like I don't think it should be like, like mandated that if you like an actor of a certain ilk, you have to only play the mm-hmm. characters that are exactly like you. <laughs> But then again, I also understand the like that for the longest time there was no actual representation for all yeah. these communities. So I I am definitely on the side of like if there are willing actors from that community mm. that would wanna be in a movie like that, that they should be it's sort of like an affirmative action kind of thing. Are you taking yeah. a job from someone? Yeah. Are you like taking it is there is there a community of people with autism mm. who are interested in pursuing acting and cannot, like, yeah. then yes, by all means, let's allow them to do it. But I, I mean, yeah, I just don't know enough to know. It feels like society, we very clearly like, yeah, uh, Jared Leto should not play a, a trans woman uh, when there are trans uh, actresses right. who would like to play that role. Exactly. Um, I can't. I don't think we've yet had another instance of someone playing a mental disability or handicap that someone with that. Like, I wonder if, like, let's say if you were making a version of, this, of a similar story today, maybe they'd they get some actor who has more functioning autism or I, yeah, I, I, I don't, don't I like I don't know we ha- we the think pieces haven't had their say yet because I don't think like a movie like this has been made for a while right well yeah I think there are like all these shows where there's like a dick of a smart dude who they sort of are trying oh, right. to we hint should, that yeah. he has 
Asperger is usually like a high functioning thing. But I think, yeah, this is sort of like the place where like those depictions live now. I don't think there's anything. There's a lot less like I'm vying for the Oscar. So I'm going to take on a role that depicts like a severe yeah. mental in, handicap. In the years of the Sheldons. I, you know, for years I've been like, how fucking lazy and lame to clearly have a character who's on the spectrum and just be like too cowardly to admit it Mm -hmm. and approach it respectfully or attempt to uh, approach it realistically, even in a comedy setting. But like, yeah, watching scenes in this movie where Dustin Hoffman, you know, uh, uh, starts freaking out and banging his head, I was instantly like, is that realistic? Is that, I, I, it's... It's weird. This is this is a weird movie to watch in 2019. Right. I think, I mean, one of my only exposures to autism is from watching the Jon Stewart benefits, mm. like Nights of Our Lives. And uh, and I feel like in those, it, it does seem to sort of go along with that because I think like there are certain kids who are very much like whenever they are encountering anything that they are not used to or mm. comfortable with, they do go in that route. Yeah. So I think it did feel realistic to me. But then again, I mean, I had such limited exposure to things. Yeah, it's it's been a lot. I can't think of a, a really recent example of like, uh, there's something about Mary or like, let's say I was a comedic, but like anything that has... Right. I'm sure I'm, we're forgetting an incredibly obvious choice. Mm. But anyway, um, why did you think this movie was number one back in 1989? Yeah, that is so interesting because, as I mentioned earlier, it was number one for a while. And I guess it came back it because it won the Oscar. So I guess the reason why it was number one in this case, it was because mm. the Oscars won or because it won the Oscar. But um, I would guess that, like, I mean... It's a well-done movie. Dustin Hoffman at that point, very popular. Very very respected. Yeah. Tom Cruise, very popular. Tom Cruise is, uh, like, becoming a rising star. Mm-hmm. So, and, I mean, the 80s is still an era in movie-making where movies for adults could be box office yeah. hits. So, yeah, I think it's, you know, probably some combination of those things. Yeah, I mean, it's a very well-constructed movie. The emotional right. beats all work. And I'm sure at the time it was really sold on, like, <laughs> the two male leads are fucking acting so hard the mm-hmm. entire movie. They are acting their fucking uh, billowy, pleated khaki pants off. <laughs> um, Only to reveal their super long underwear. <laughs> but yeah, I... When it comes to like you know, in our retro uh, retro reviews, we always do our our little segment. Uh, woo, that would not work today. Um, for the most, like I don't really have an ant. I don't think you could make this movie today. I think it just most studios would be like, I don't even want to fucking deal with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, like not knowing what the response would be, and then yeah, the the um, the use and then unuse of Susano is probably the thing that uh, right. felt felt the most out of uh, most dated. Yeah, I think it's definitely like the whoa, this won't fly today is not actually due to the actual portrayal in the movie, but like as we said, due to like all the parodies. Yeah, and I feel like in today's climate of just 
coming to conclusions without actually seeing mm-hmm. the thing is like a big deal. I yeah. think that even this trailer would get torn to pieces. Exactly. So it seems like it, it feels like that even if the movie itself was a nuanced portrayal of autism, mm-hmm. I I feel like it would not even be given a chance to be seen by yeah. the people who would be complaining about I mean, it. If a screenwriter brought a script of this in, I think, yeah, a, a studio would be like, dude, no, I just don't want to deal with that. Right, exactly. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, overall, definitely not one of the worst Oscar winning movies. I guess one last thing I wanted to do with you before we wrap Ooh, up please. is... Uh, read to you the other nominees for Ooh, best be- picture for best picture in that year, and uh, have you, I guess, pick a favorite or whether you think the Academy got it right. Let's see. So the nominees are <laughs> uh, La La Land. No, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, so it's Rain Man. Uh-huh. Dangerous Liaisons, Mississippi. That's the John Malkovich version? Yes, okay. The Cruel Intention starring John Malkovich. Great. Uh, Mississippi Burning. One of the other suggested movies in uh, <laughs> on Amazon Prime. That in like Philadelphia. Oh, uh, yeah, I can see that. Uh, the Accidental Tourist mm. and A Working Girl. Well, yeah, I... I uh, the only so, <laughs> 1988. I was very young. <laughs> well, um, I assume you did not see any of these movies in theaters. It, I mean, it's really like it is really like a a a black you know a, a blind spot those years when you're like one through four. Right. Um. Uh. I so I when this movie was at the top of the charts, I was literally one year old. <laughs> um. Uh, so I had not seen a lot of those. I think uh, Dangerous Liaisons is the only one I've seen. Mm. Although I can't even remember if I saw the Malkovich version or the Colin Firth version. Which one is the Colin, is it Colin Firth? Colin Firth or who has an, which one is Annette Bening? What are you talking about? <laughs> Dangerous Liaisons? There were like two that came out on the same year. One based on the book and one based uh, supposedly on the book. One based on the book and one based on a Broadway show adaptation of the book. Uh, oh, I'm unfamiliar. I'm sorry. All right, I'm like, I'm so. I don't... So I guess my question to you is: It better than is Rain Man better than Dangerous Liaisons? I don't remember Dangerous Liaisons, but it's not better than Cruel Intentions. Cruel Intentions fucking rules. Yeah, I recently find found out that like some people think this movie sucks. Dan- uh, Cruel Intentions. What? And uh, I did not approve of that because I love that movie very much. Uh, yeah, that was Dangerous Liaisons with... Um, oh, Velmont. Is that the thing you're talking about? That's the one I was thinking of. Oh, uh, my aunt loves Velmont. Who, who is in that one? Colin Firth is in Velmont. And Annette Benning? Yes, you are very correct. Yeah, dude. And Feruza Balk. I really saved myself from those moments at the beginning of this episode when I forgot... Who was I forgetting? You well, you confused uh, Jonathan Demi with oh god, Tony Scott, right? With Tony Scott, and then you also called something wild, wild things. I'm so tired. I'm sick. Oh, you're so sick. Well, so just so that John can go back to his tiny bed <laughs> and drink some uh, chicken soup before he safely tucks himself in bed by six p.m. We're gonna. <laughs> bid you a fond box office time machine farewell and we'll hopefully uh you will hear from us next week when yeah. we talk about shazam 
Possibly. Shazam, what, what was the other option? Uh, well, it could be Dumbo, I guess, which is this week's number one movie. But... Cool. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah, I hope it's Shazam because I do kind of want to see it. Yeah, those trailers have been good. All right, time travelers, we're going to... Toot toot away. Uh, we're going to pile back into our super rare Lamborghini box office <laughs> time machine car, and we're going to drive very safely and very carefully all the way back to 2019 as we bid you adieu till next week that did not rhyme i kind of hope it would dude dude <laughs> dude, dude. <laughs>